Support for this episode of 9 to Thrive HR is brought to you by SAP. As the market leader in enterprise application software, SAP is at the center of today's business and technology revolution. SAP helps you streamline your processes, giving you the ability to use live data to predict customer trends live and in the moment. To learn more, please visit www.sap.com. Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us on another episode of 9 to Thrive HR, a podcast produced by HCI where we discuss some of the most pressing issues facing talent management today and help surface ideas and solutions to those problems by speaking to experts and practitioners in the field. My name is Randy Kenny, and I'm your host for today. I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Hunt, Senior Vice President at SAP SuccessFactors. Let's get started with more about you, Steve. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I run the Human Capital Management Research Group at SAP SuccessFactors, and it's a relatively unique group in a technology organization. Um, my background, I'm an industrial organizational psychologist, and most of my colleagues on the research team are from a similar background. And what we're focused on is really understanding how do you use human capital management technology to actually create more productive, highly engaged workforces. Um, Like how do you use technology to create better conversations, more engagement, better decisions about talent. And, you know, the reason for this is we're a software as a service company, so we want to make sure customers are getting maximum value from our technology. But the interesting thing about it is because we're cloud technology, everyone has access to the same features. So it's really not about the technology, it's about how they use it. And that's what I study, um, and through this work, I've had a chance to work with hundreds of organizations around the world to learn what seems to work for companies. And I guess I would sum by saying there really isn't a best way to do it, but the companies that seem to use technology really effectively to increase workforce productivity approach it with certain things in mind, and uh, that's what I'll be talking about a little bit today. Great, Stephen. We're so excited to have you back on the air. Recently, you actually presented on an HCI webcast, and during that webcast, you talked about how today's business environment is characterized by constant change. Many would say that people inherently don't like change, but you disagree. What is it about change that makes people uncomfortable? Well, I think for the first thing to say, you know, why I disagree with it, because one of the big myths is that people fear change, and that's not actually true. Um, people are really wired for change. It's what humans as a species do uniquely well. We're really good at adapting to changing environments and changing environments to adapt to us. Um, It's called learning. (laughs) But what we dislike is poorly managed change. Um, So we don't fear change itself. Change is actually good for us. It's unhealthy to do the same thing over and over again. It's unhealthy mentally and physically. But it's also extremely stressful to deal with change if you don't have the right conditions for it. And those conditions are really one, a sense of clarity about why you're changing, uh, how that's going to affect you, a sort of, sort of a, you know, you may not know how you're going to make the change, but you know why and the reason for it and the resources to make this change effectively and working with a team of people that you feel are supporting you in making this change. In those conditions, change is actually really, really enjoyable. I always use the example, if you think back in your own career, probably some of the most enjoyable times in your career were times of considerable change. You know, a new job assignment or a really important project, you know, and you were stressed, but it was like good stress. And that's where we're really, really engaged. And I think that's, you know, the the challenge of organizations right now is, is change is inevitable and it's happening faster and faster. The challenge for organizations is how can we create the conditions so people thrive and learn and are engaged by change and see the opportunities provide as opposed to being overwhelmed and burned out by it. I think that's a great perspective, Steve. And let's talk about some of these business changes a little more specifically. 
Many organizations are talking about changing the age-old performance management model, for example. What changes do you think should happen here? Well, I think this is really important because what's really happening is companies are rethinking the relationship between employees and the people they work for directly. Um, you know, that's really the linchpin of an organizational change. If you have that relationship between a manager who kind of gets communicated from the organization, this is what we need people to do, and then the employee is saying, look, this is why I work for your company in terms of career goals, and having that person, whether that is a formal manager or not, is kind of in the middle of that which is saying, you know, how can I align the needs of the company with the career interests of employees? So this is getting people to really rethink about performance management entirely because every company manages performance to some degree. You know, you got to sort of the idea of making sure people know what they're supposed to do, feel commitment to it, getting ongoing guidance and feedback for it or recognized for their contributions. Every company does that. But the historical way it's been done is really, really poor. And I would say it's probably because of limitations in technology. I don't think anyone ever set out to say, let's have a you know performance management process that encourages managers to give feedback once a year, which is sort of the annual review. I don't think that was ever the intention. I just think that if you went back, whatever, 50 or 100 years ago, when somebody said we should have a consistent way to kind of set expectations and evaluate performance and reward it, and that should be consistent throughout the organization. And all you had was paper and pencil. You ended up with a sort of annual performance review. And so what's happening is companies are radically changing this um, because technology is taking the constraints off. I say if we'd always had social and mobile technology, I don't think we ever would have had annual performance reviews. So now that we do have things like social and mobile technology, companies are really rethinking about it, and they're saying we need more effective, ongoing discussion and dialogue with employees. Um, we need to make sure that's happening, and they're using technology to really support that. They're also using technology to change how they make decisions about employees. Um, similarly, and it's sort of this idea of moving away from these annual ratings that were never that accurate, people didn't, honestly didn't use them at all, to much, much greater use of sort of group decision-making that, you know, if you want to know if individuals are valuable to an organization, you need to have the organization evaluate those individuals, not one specific person. And so you're seeing also much greater use of calibration and talent review discussion. I want to be clear, I'm not talking about like forced ranking, but just bringing because I think generally it doesn't work well, but companies are doing much greater use of saying, look, whether or not somebody's a high performer for an organization isn't an individual decision, it's an organizational decision. So much more talent review meetings, things like that. Steve, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, effect technology has on how we do business. Across the board, I think we've seen technology drive disruptive change in both our personal and professional lives. What are some ways, in addition to what you mentioned already about performance management, that you see technology changing human capital strategy? Well, I think it's really, you know, if you look at communica- technology as a way to support relationships and communication with people and share information and data, what it's doing, it actually, is it's allowing companies to be more human. I think this is a really counterintuitive thing, but if you look at what makes people effective at work, that has not changed. You know, it's having clear goals, it's being recognized for the work you do, it's beginning support from your peers and resources so you can be successful. There's really basic things. And I wrote a book called Common Sense Talent Management that kind of talks about this. And I called it Common Sense because I said, if you look at the companies that create high-performance workforces, largely what they're doing is stuff we've known for years and years and years. We just didn't do it well, you know, like making sure people had clear goals and understood what they're the purpose of them showing up at work is and why it mattered. That's not a new concept, but, you know, companies historically have struggled to do that. 
what technology is doing is it's allowing us to get rid of what I'd call sort of unnatural human resource processes and replace them with much more natural ways of working. So, you know, the example, the annual performance review is a good example of that. It's a very unnatural way. You would never use an annual performance review in your personal life. As opposed to social technology that allows us to communicate and collaborate and sort of share expectations through going online and having collaborative sites or tools that remind us to talk to each other. These are things very similar that we use in our own life, you know. People use things like, you know, Facebook and stuff like that to communicate with other people. And so we're seeing technology that's really sort of facilitating more natural human conversations. Another place where we're really seeing that change happening considerably is the area of learning. Again, the natural way to learn is not to attend training courses. The natural way for people to learn is to find other people that know how to do things they want to know how to do and watch them do them. That's kind of like I kind of joke like back in caveman days, somebody wanted to learn to build a fire. It wasn't like, oh, there's a seminar on fire building in Cave 17 next Monday. It was more like, no, find somebody who knows how to make a fire and watch them do it. When you look at social technology, the social learning technology, it's basically allowing people to go back to do that so that instead of attending training courses, you have somebody in the company who knows how to do something and they kind of share it on the short video or whatever online and they put it out there so that people can access it. So, so much of this technology is really getting rid of kind of these processes that were built around as sort of limited technology focused on control and moving more into technology that allows people to interact with other people like people naturally do, which is a lot more about ongoing discussions. And I think that's one of the things that um, is very counterintuitive about the technology, but it really is about, you know, making the workplace feel more human and less constrained. And in a workforce that is more human, what role would you say big data and analytics would play in these types of tech-driven changes? I, I think a lot of it is the, the danger. I guess we'll start with the danger. The danger is people thinking that we're going to have machines make decisions about people. And I think that is inherently um, a risk. Um, my belief is that people should make decisions about people and people should talk to people. Now, what big data and machine learning and all this stuff can do is it can help provide people with data so they make more effective decisions, or it can also sort of track whether or not people are having conversations to remind them to talk to each other, because historically we know people have tended to make decisions based on limited or false data about people, or people have uh, failed to actually engage with employees and have ongoing discussions for a variety of reasons. So I think when you look at things like big data, it's really to get better understanding of what's going on in the organization, make sure people are making decisions off the right information, as well as increasing awareness of what's going on in the company and making sure you're connecting with people the right way. I think where you run into trouble is if people try to let the machines make decisions for them. Um, and because, you know, machine, what, what people are really good at, people are not good at scanning lots and lots of information and processing it. Machines are good at that. People are good at recognizing anomalies and recognizing that when this is a time when maybe the recommendation being made by the machine is not the right one. And so I think that's one of the things in looking at this, that big data is definitely going to give people more information, but we need to be careful that we don't let the data, the machines make the actual decisions for us because um, that can run into real troubles. And actually for a bit of research that shows when you start doing that, you can these machines just learn sort of in a, if you weigh in a dumb way, they take data in and they process it based on patterns and they may not look at larger contextual issues like, you know, around fairness and stuff like that that does play into how we should make um, 
decisions that affect the lives of other people. Great perspective there, Steve. And lastly, let's circle back and talk a little bit more about uh, another subject you mentioned in your recent HCI webcast. You discussed the importance of no longer tolerating bad management, even if strategic goals like sales numbers, for example, are being attained. What advice would you give to our podcast listeners to begin to address management issues in their organizations and encourage more effective leadership? Yeah, I, I think this is really important. Say, so, you know, currently, the one resource companies, and we go back to the first question about change, the one and best and most constant resource companies have to deal with change is people. Because I said earlier, people are wired for change. It's, it's our competitive niche as a species. It's one of the reasons why there's more people every year and fewer other animals, which is not a good thing. But the reality is we're good at dealing with changing environments. It's what we're wired for. And so as the pace of change changes faster and faster, companies need to leverage people really, really effectively, especially when you have like high-performing, high-skilled people. Because the other thing that's happening right now is because of changes in the labor market, um, there's a shortage of really skilled talent. Not a shortage of talent per se, but a shortage of really skilled talent. And so, you know, companies have to get much better at managing people. And I think this is what's driving some of these changes in performance management is companies realizing we can't tolerate bad management. You know, this is, people have often said, you know, employees don't quit companies, they quit managers. No, the reality is employees quit companies that employ crappy managers. And so if you have bad management, it's the company's fault. So the companies are, are investing a lot more in making sure that managers are truly managing. And I think the thing as far as how do you do this effectively, well, first of all, recognize that historically companies for, I don't know, at least most of my career, it's almost seemed like companies have downplayed the value of managers. It's all like, we don't need managers, we need leaders. And when in reality, there is a real art to being a middle manager. Um, it is a hard role where you're sort of stuck between the needs of what the organization wants and the needs of what employees want. You need to balance those two things. So yet a lot of companies, you know, have histories of promoting people into management positions for things other than their managerial skill and for not really recognizing or supporting or rewarding people for effective management. Well, that has to change, and I think there's a couple things to really make it change. One, you know, when you're making decisions about whether or not people should be given responsibility for what is probably the most expensive resource in your company, which is people, make sure they actually have some level of managerial capability. So make sure that plays into staffing decisions. Train people on how to be effective managers. And this is an interesting one because I look at the companies that do this well. It's not just that they provide training. It's the fact that they consistently provide training year after year after year because you can always get better at management. And it also communicates something that's important to the organization to say, look, we train you on how to be a manager because it's important to us. It is an investment. It kind of makes it a priority. And then provide people with tools and technology that help them be more effective managers. And those technologies sometimes also allows you to track whether or not people are effectively managing. Are they checking in with their employees regularly? Do employees have career goals, things like that? And lastly, so you can kind of use that to you know, evaluate whether or not people actually are managing well. And last, reward and recognize managers who are good at it. You know, a lot of companies, and I ask this, I've been asking this question for years, and it's amazing how many companies don't do it. I always ask, do you reward managers who develop and promote people out of their teams? That is the classic really good manager. They find talent, they make it better, and they move it on into the organization. It's amazing how many companies don't. As a matter of fact, a lot of companies punish managers who actually are really good at developing people because, you know, they'll develop these people, they'll promote them, and then they don't backfill for the position. So actually, you know, from a manager perspective, 
how does it benefit a manager to take their highest performing high potential employees and move them else into other parts of the organization? The reality is your company doesn't reward managers for developing and promoting people. You're probably not going to get managers that are going to be, that are going to want to do that. And so I think you know there's kind of a combination of things, but it really does come down to some very basic things. But if you want good management, you've got to reward it. You've got to support it. Steve, thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise uh, on the topic of the changing business world and the role HR has to play. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. We'd also like to thank all of you tuning in and encourage you to subscribe to this podcast if you enjoyed what you heard. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Smart Radio, and on the YouTube channel, HCI Talent. Lastly, one more big thank you to our sponsor, SAP. Without their generous support, HCI couldn't deliver great content like this. If you're interested in learning more about what we discussed in today's episode, you can find more resources at hci.org. For 9 to Thrive HR and all of HCI, this is Randy Kenny.